credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. It's been almost 3,000 years and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, and we're all feeling rather chipper today. And this is Stuff You Should Know. Not emotionally painful, right? This That's second. not true. Not at all true. I'm just really good at masking mine. Oh. How about you? I'm feeling pretty good today. I'm glad, man. In this moment. Uh, but this is, a, this is an interesting topic because, uh, as we'll see when we uh, cover our history section here at the beginning... Mm-hmm. And thanks to Livia for helping out with this one, right? Wouldn't it, Livia? Yeah, this was she wrote this right, right around Christmas I, too. I, <laughs> I felt kind of bad. Yeah, it's like do one of puppies next, right? Uh, we will soon learn, and it's probably no surprise that uh, things like emotional pain and and mental distress have quite often and still quite often take a backseat uh, in the West and then the, yeah. the the medical world and. It's sort of, uh, not sort of, it's incredibly sad that, that that's the case. Yeah, and just to do just a brief sketch, emotional pain is exactly what you've always thought it was. There's nothing, you know, there's no new concept to it that you're just going to be like, oh, that's emotional pain. Anytime you felt like heartache, sadness, embarrassment, something where you felt like your body was responding to a sudden emotion, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's emotional pain, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just a part of life. People have said it's a part of life for a very long time. If you're a Buddhist, it is definitely a part of life. Same with Christians. It's just kind of how people have approached it. But you said something that I didn't realize, that here in the West, I mean, I guess I realize this part. Here in the West, if you go to a doctor and you say, I'm having emotional pain, they're like, actually, no, you're not. It's it's real pain. Your leg is missing right now, and right. I need to sew it up. <laughs> and you're like, no, but I'm emotionally affected by this. They'd be like, shut up. That doesn't matter. And there's right. a reason for that. And you can trace it all the way back to Descartes. That's right. Uh, I studied Descartes in college a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And the the and this was a big deal. But in the 17th century, uh, Rene Descartes proposed the idea of uh, dualism with the mind and body. Mm-hmm. And you think like, okay, you know, great. That kind of makes sense in a way, especially in the 17th century. But that was a big deal that really, it was sort of a sea change and in, in a fundamental split that happened, which uh, in which European medical science uh, was, was uh, trying to separate from the church uh, as far as their oversight goes. But what the real effect was, was what I was talking about was, you know, mental illnesses were really a distinct, separate thing from physical maladies. 
Yeah, and still today in the in in Western medicine, we do not combine those two. Which is, you know, there's other cultures like traditional Chinese medicine, um, Indian Ayurvedic medicine that they they see mental and physical pain yeah. as pretty much at the very least deeply connected, not two completely separate things, one of which may or may not exist, like we believe in Western medicine. And to, to, to be able to trace it back to like this point where um, the the early medical doctors were like, I call body, and the church is like, oh, I call mind. And they just kind of went their separate ways. I just find that fascinating. And it's landed us in this problem where we are in the United States and other Western countries where we don't, we really give short shrift to emotional pain, but we're learning more and more that it is just as real and just as sometimes unbearable as physical pain, sometimes worse, because there's not a lot of recognized treatments for it yet. Uh, when they called mind and body, who was shirts and who was skins? Uh, they were both skins. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a <laughs> sexy day. Uh, people like Sigmund Freud, you know, it's not like no one ever talked about emotional pain in the West or it was studied or anything like that. It was just that separation. Freud, he did write about psychological pain, as did mm -hmm. a lot of people that followed Freud or, you know, not necessarily acolytes of Freud, but people that followed after him. Um, and, you know, kind of wrote about, you know, more in the terms of like mourning, like mourning someone's death or maybe a big uh, romantic loss or something and this emptiness or loneliness or sadness you might feel. Mm -hmm. But that's still not where we're what we're talking about today, which is this mind body connection where and as we'll see where study after study kind of um, and again, it's a very hard thing to kind of prove outright, but strong correlations between physical conditions and emotional distress. Yeah, and I think Freud was still talking about that. He was saying, like, yes, you actually feel pain when you suffer a loss, like a death or a breakup or something like that. But it's become a little more, a lot more sophisticated since Freud's time. Um, there's a term called psychic that a guy named Edwin Schneidman uh, I like coined. That. And I like that term. Psychic? Yeah. It's so 90s. <laughs> it sort of is. Now that that I is about a it. 90s term, psychic, <laughs> yeah. all one word, right? Sure. And Edwin Schneidman, um, he did coin it in '93, and um, he he basically said it's a it's a it's just another term for psychological anguish, um, and that he and he was a suicidologist, um, and he believed that psychic was essentially behind every single um, suicide that was ever attempted or completed, um, and he kind of chalked it up to a few different things. And you'll kind of see in the 90s and then kind of expanding today, it's kind of expanded and contracted until we finally arrived at a decent definition. But all of it has to do with you are suddenly experiencing a terrible discrepancy between the way you think things should be and the way they suddenly are. Mm -hmm. And you are you are you're, you feel like you yourself are at fault somehow. Yeah, and there's, you know, again, and as we'll see, it's a very hard thing to study. Uh, it's pain period is super subjective, as we all know. Physical pain is subjective. Emotional pain, maybe, well, it's probably about equally subjective now that I think about it. Yeah. But there's not, uh, as Olivia points out, there's not a one-to-one -one relationship between, like, an event and what he refers to as psychic, like somebody – may be really good at getting over stuff like that a lot better than someone else. Um, mm -hmm. the, the level of the event 
may not necessarily always correlate to a level of emotional pain in any given individual. Um, some people maybe can process somebody's uh, passing or death really, really well because uh, they just get drunk all the time. <laughs> Actually, that's a joke, but we will talk about that. That's a big component of all this stuff. Definitely. Uh, but the point is, like what Freud was talking about is something like an event happens or a loss happens. We've realized over the years that it's not always just that, and there can right, be chron right. a chronic emotional pain that people feel that's uh, tied to certain disorders. Of Obviously, depression uh, can be a big factor, but all these things aren't mutually exclusive either. No, and the other thing that emerges is what we've all always known. All of us experience uh, emotional pain to some degree or another, like you said, at different times, uh, and some people chronically, unfortunately. And they finally, I guess in the last 10 years maybe, have come up with a, a, a consensus definition from what I can tell. Let's hear it. They say that emotional pain, which, by the way, is interchangeable with psychological pain, mm -hmm. psychical pain, psych ache, it's all the same thing. But emotional pain is a lasting, unsustainable, and unpleasant feeling resulting from negative appraisal of an inability or deficiency of the self. And yeah. so that the basic emotion of uh, psychic pain, psychological pain, emotional pain, is self-disappointment. You're in an aversive state where you have a high self-awareness of inadequacy, and that that is what you can kind of trace all of it back to. Yeah, and we'll talk about physical symptoms. There can be very specific things at times, like upset stomach or, you know, things that might be brought on by what you might think of as stress. Uh, but if you experience sort of uh, chronic mental anguish and emotional pain, mm -hmm. a lot of times it is just a an overall um, body uh, woundedness that you might feel that you can't specifically, and that's sort of one of the issues is it's, you don't walk into a doctor in America and say, my, I just, my whole body feels off because I'm in emotional distress. They're going to say, well, you've called the wrong doctor. Right here, take these sugar pills and yeah. go home. But also give me $5,000. Right. <laughs> and I'm sorry about the weight. <laughs> so uh, they're not really sorry about the weight. They may say that, Chuck, but they don't mean it. What's uh, social pain? Social pain is either the same thing as emotional pain or it's kind of a subset of it. But it's it, they seem to strictly um, – they say it's strictly from uh, social interactions like rejection, mm -hmm. being dumped. Um, uh, damage to your social connections. Uh, I saw FOMO. that. Um, FOMO, that would be one. Yeah, that's uh, like if, a joke that people say, but that that is very real with some people, you know? Right. And so, like, when you when you feel FOMO, right, you, you feel bad. You don't – it's not just in your head. It's so hard to get across. Mm -hmm. And it's almost – totally unnecessary to get across because all of us have experienced emotional pain at some time or another. But if you've ever stopped and thought about it, why why would your body feel at all weird? Why wouldn't it just be strictly in your emotions or strictly in your head or strictly yeah. in your mind? Like, I've got this problem and I can't stop thinking about it. Instead, or in addition to that, because that definitely happens too, your body actually feels bad, wrong, off, pained, tense, because of this emotional pain. And they actually believe, this to me is the fact of the podcast, Ooh. they believe that emotional pain came along as a result of our increasing socialization yeah. from the time we were primates up until now. 
And it piggybacked on our existing uh, physical pain system. And because social bonds were so important to um, survival that it was it became a thing where you felt pain when those social bonds were threatened or broken. Right. Like uh, Tuk Tuk very sore from long hunt today, mm-hmm. but Tuk Tuk feel especially painful today because Tuk Tuk not invited to main fire. Tuk Tuk doesn't use prepositions. <laughs> Should he? I don't know. <laughs> It depends. If he's like unfrozen caveman lawyer, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so the thing is, is what Tuk Tuk would have learned from there, Chuck, or from that experience is I need to like, I need to pay attention to this. There's something I'm doing wrong. There's something somebody else is doing wrong. And I need to remedy it. I need to do something different in the future. And then in that way, my social connections will be stronger. And when a saber-toothed tiger comes along, I'll have my crew to take care of it rather than it just making a meal out of me. Yeah, this this is a great setup. I think so, too. Should we take a break? Yes, let's. All right, we'll be right back to talk more and hopefully make a few other little jokes about emotional pain. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. 
that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a tough one to joke about, you know? Uh, to, yeah, no, it is. But I think more than anything to me, it's a tough one to talk about. And I, I don't I don't understand why. Maybe it's because it's not fully understood yeah. yet. So I'm having trouble understanding it or explaining it, you know? Yeah, and when I say joke about, of course, I mean joke alongside. Uh, none of this is, is joke-worthy. But we're mm. a par- part comedy show, so we try to sure. work in these angles when we can, right? Yes, the funniest is when we explain that we're right. <laughs> making jokes about it and why, but why we really should or that they don't really count. I think new people come along. Uh, did you see somebody was very upset about your awesome, awesome Midwest joke? From Which our, one? From our uh, Edmund Fitzgerald podcast. Somebody wrote in, mm. and I didn't even remember because we recorded a lot uh, to to get ahead for Christmas, but I didn't even remember the joke. Somebody was very offended, and I said, well, what happened? I said, I, I feel like it was probably a joke that I could explain, but just let me know what happened. And then mm-hmm. I wrote back, and it was a great joke. I said, I was trying to think of the game, the card game Euchre. Oh, no, it was in tarot, mm-hmm. uh, tarot cards. And I said, what was that game I said that Midwesterners uh, often played? And you went, get me out of here. <laughs> 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 yeah, and then this person, I, I said it was just a joke, of course, and uh, that you're from the Midwest, so you can say that. And this person, I think, felt a little bad even, which I then felt bad about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's no good for anyone. Now the rest of us <laughs> feel bad because you shared it, and we all feel bad for you and the other person. All right. Can we talk about uh, how mental pain affects the body? Yes, because here's the point. It's not just that mental pain exists. It actually is real pain. And thanks to our friend, the Wonder Machine, the fMRI, Mm, we actually know that the same parts of your brain that are responsible for experiencing different types of physical pain, uh, they light up. They become active in the presence of emotional pain. And they did this by basically inflicting emotional pain on poor participant studies and then seeing what their brains did. Yeah, and here's the thing. With a lot of these studies, what's important, I think, to know is that uh, it wasn't necessarily in an exact exact time of crisis. Like, you know, we wanted to gather up people who had been dumped the day before. Right. Because, of course, you're going to be in that sort of state of mind at the time. Like most of these studies, you'll you'll see – it's like studying your brain during resting rates or your heart during resting rates. And it's, you know, it feels like it's more, and I'm not saying, you know, they're all in emotional pain still, but they didn't like juice these studies by getting just these like recently devastated people, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
Right. At first. And some of the the techniques they use is just take an average person off the street and say, Mm -hmm. we want to inflict emotional pain on you. They would, um, in the experiment, they would be playing a game with other subjects and um, they would exclude the actual study participant <laughs> from yeah. the game. Yeah. Or they would tell them that one of the other participants um, admitted to not liking them. And and they would show them rejection-themed pictures, stuff like that. And it was coming up with some pretty tepid results. But then there was a guy named Ethan Cross from University of Michigan. With a K. Yeah. Chris um, Cross style. He'll make you jump, jump. Yeah. <laughs> For his study results. I wonder if he wears his clothes backwards when he presents <laughs> findings. Those kids made like a million dollars from wearing their clothes backwards at the mall once. Oh, really? Just to go out there and do that? That's how they, I mean, no, that's how they, that's how they were discovered at the mall. Oh. Discovered them. Wow. Yeah. What a but world. that was why. It is a world. Good but anyway, them. back to um, Ethan Criss Cross. He uh, used the wonder machine, but he did recruit people who were in a, an intense yeah. uh, negative emotional state who had just been recently dumped and were not taking it very well. And he put them in the wonder machine and he said, hey, here's a picture about your ex that just dumped you yeah. or a picture of them. Now think about some memory of them dumping you and how bad it feels. And then he sat there with a, a clipboard and a pencil and went, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. interesting. I see. Mm-hmm. And watched their brains do different things. Yeah. And they said, how did you get that picture? <laughs> Don't ask about that. They give them a zap when they ask too many questions. Uh, yeah. And I think there were about 40 people in this study. Uh, and again, he uh, eventually used he, – he used the fMRI eventually, right? Yes. And what he, he found out was that the negative emotional state – uh, lit up the sensory and affective brain areas just mm-hmm. like putting, like, hot heat on their arms. So this physical heat, and this sort of made a little sense to me as far as, like, if you get, like, if I get really, really intensely upset about something, mm-hmm. I feel like my head is on fire. Right. Uh, so yeah. that, I think there's something about heat, and maybe that's why I used it, but they would, like— I don't think they would burn them, burn them, but they would put what was called a painful heat on their forearm and found that the fMRI lit up just the same as with the emotional pain. Yeah. And so that supported something that he had also found in a review of existing literature that um, the the brain regions associated with our affective experience about the aversive quality of pain, which is um, we like if you hurt yourself physically, right? Mm you are you're suffering that suffering is your desire for that pain to stop you want it to go away it's like hurting you um existentially it goes beyond just the actual physical yeah. uh, experience the sensory experience of it that's the um that's the uh, effective experience of physical pain and that region of the brain definitely lights up the same for emotional pain and physical pain because we're suffering from both equally. But what Cross said or showed was that, no, your actual sensory experience, like what your body feels when you're Mm -hmm. physically in pain, is the same when you're emotionally in pain. So he said, ipso facto, my research shows emotional pain and physical pain, as far as the body is concerned— is the same thing. It's really just your doctor in the United States that is having trouble admitting this whole thing. All the evidence is showing your body's fully aware that they're the same. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's so frustrating because, like I said, when 
I think everybody, when they get really emotionally upset, the first thing that happens is your body is going to start physically reacting. Mm -hmm. Like I said, my head gets flush and hot Mm -hmm. and like the heart races. And uh, it's this almost like this fear response in me. Uh, So it's hard to believe that, you know, something like fight or flight is just so universally accepted. But something like this, which to me is the same thing going on, uh, can still be poo-pooed. Yeah, poo-poo for now, but not much longer, I predict. Yeah, and I for too. me, Chuck, since we're throwing out our own stories, if I suffer some sort of uh, emotional injury or whatever, right, usually like embarrassment or something like that, yeah, it washes over me is the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Basically, from the back of my head down the front and then through my chest and uh, abdomen. Yeah, And I actually saw research that suggested um, the vagus nerve that connects the brain through the chest and your abdomen and into your, I believe, your uh, junk area because <laughs> it's activated during orgasms from our orgasm episode years back, I, I think remember. The, I think the medical term is your bits. But they, uh, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. They, um, they, they found that the anterior uh, cingular cortex activates the vagus nerve, which um, can over become overstimulated in the presence of a huge jolt of emotion, yeah. which can... transfer to the vagus nerve, which can make you feel in your chest and abdomen like there's some sort of discomfort or sensation. Again, an emotion created a physical response. You're not, you're not crazy. You really are feeling that way. Yeah. And, and like, I remember feeling this stuff from the time I even knew what feelings were, you know, nobody Mm -hmm. likes to be picked last as far as the social pain, uh, no one likes to be embarrassed in front of people, but that stuff doesn't stop, you know. Um, right. the, the the social thing, like when we were talking about it, it might sound like um, obviously something you will experience in adolescence and growing up, but that stuff doesn't go away. Uh, no, it really doesn't. At least it and, didn't and, for me. <laughs> no, no, same here. I thought about making that joke, but then I, I pulled it back from the edge. <laughs> I mean, maybe some people have really – squared themselves away such but it, it to me it just seems like part of and you know a bunch of the history that we kind of truncated at the beginning talked about it being part of the human condition mm-hmm. and i just think that's so obviously true and it's totally true i think people who don't have to deal with that are really just dealing with it less than other people i don't think anybody's ever managed to eradicate emotional pain from their lives you know yeah but and the people that seem like they've got it all together could be suffering the worst. You never know. They might yeah. just be really good at, at burying that stuff or what have you. <laughs> yeah, like Flanders types. Right, <laughs> exactly. The, there's one other thing about the the, com- the comparison, though, of physical pain and emotional pain that really is a difference. And that is that when you're experiencing physical pain, there's usually something you can do to kind of stem it off immediately. Mm-hmm. If you put your hand on like a hot oven, you can pull your hand away. But if you experience like an emotional injury, Uh, and you feel emotional pain, you can't, like, hold your hand. You can't run it underwater. You can't—there's nothing you can do right then to stop it except for essentially self-soothe as best you can until it subsides. Whereas with physical pain, there's often stuff you can do to kind of treat it immediately. Yeah, what I think—and that's an acute thing. I totally agree. But what I think is interesting is that, like, evolutionarily speaking— Emotional pain is a signal just like a physical pain is mm-hmm. a signal to, like, tend to yourself in some way. Right. And whenever – and we get a lot of emails from people that are 
suffering great deals of emotional pain. Like Mm -hmm. listeners, you would not believe some of the emails we get of people that are in such distress. Mm -hmm. And I always try to say the same thing, which is like, and and usually it's in reference to the podcast kind of helping calm them down in some way, which is really nice to hear. But Mm -hmm. I always tell people the same way is, which is like, Hey, listen, get some help and treat yourself right. Like, drink a lot of water, go for a walk. Like these are literal physical things that you can do that will, it's not a cure, but it will certainly help alleviate acute symptoms, you know? Right. Self-soothe. Yeah, but it's it's more than self-soothe to me because it's like, it's, it's like, no, you need to treat it like there's a physical problem. Like that's right. why you should drink a lot of water and go outside and uh, it's soothing, but it's also doing something to your body. And interestingly, we'll talk about things you can do. Uh, you just nailed a bunch of them. But apparently walking outside in nature mm-hmm. um, is is a really great way to, um, I guess, uh, alleviate emotional pain. And it, like if you have a forest, great, walk around the forest. If you have a meadow, walk around a meadow. If you have a public park, walk around the park. Just getting outside can help a tremendous amount. Yeah, agreed. I think that's a really nice thing that you say to people, though, Chuck. My pat response is, hey, man. Keep on trucking. <laughs> is hey, just like that mud flap says. <laughs> yeah, no one ever writes back. Although, or if they do, they're like even madder than they were before. They're more upset than before. Yeah, it's weird. People are strange. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about drugs? Yeah, this is really interesting to me. Uh, this first bit on acetaminophen, because they and I had no idea about any of this. But they have found out through studies that acetaminophen, uh, like Tylenol or, or other types of you know generic painkillers, mm-hmm. it actually can dull you emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering about to what degree because they say it can dull that like uh, the social pain that you might feel if you're FOMO'd or left out of something. Yeah, uh, it can emotionally blunt your reactions. That other like if somebody tells you about something bad, mm-hmm. you can be, I guess, less empathetic if you're taking acetaminophen. And that was yeah. really surprising. The converse is true, too. You're Because you're less empathetic, you experience fewer positive emotions, too. So the weird thing is, is it's not like it affects your brain or your processing of events. You're fully aware of, like, this is a really great thing my friend's telling me, and I understand that my friend is uh, un- is proud, reasonably proud for this, but mm-hmm. I don't feel at all happy for them because of the uh, acetaminophen. That's a really weird effect. I wonder um, how much and how pronounced, like— I don't know. Yeah, I'm re- I need to. I want to follow up on that. I don't really ever take that stuff that much, right. but but I feel like even you know just the few times you have taken it, if it was a pronounced effect, you probably would have noticed it. Probably, you know, what I'm saying like if your if your hand is suddenly making trails of itself, right. <laughs> even though that's the first time you've taken this, you noticed that that happened. Yeah, I would because it was a pronounced effect. Same thing with you know emotions being blunted with acetaminophen, yeah. probably. Good point. Uh, opioids, obviously, is something we can't not talk about. Uh, such, and you know, we we should probably tackle bits and pieces of the opioid epidemic uh, in full episodes. But uh, opioids are interesting in that sometimes you might be taking them for a real physical malady, and you happen upon the um, the emotional relief that all of a sudden feels good to you when you take an mm-hmm. opioid, uh, mm-hmm. whereas other people, that is exactly what they're seeking when right. they're, like, med-seeking or buying pills on the black market or whatever. 
Yeah, which is a huge problem. And it's, you know, obviously not just opioids, but alcohol and food. Sure. Um, basically anything that can give you some sort of positive feeling can be, you know, used to stave off emotional pain. Yeah. That, that is not the way to do it, though. But, you know, a lot of people do do it that way, and it's tough to blame them. Sure. Especially if they haven't found a, a, a better way yet to deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned before that uh, pain, uh, all kinds of pain is very subjective mm -hmm. and especially emotional pain. And obviously, because of that, it's a really hard thing to, to quantify. Uh, we've talked about the, the physical pain scale that was developed, but there have been various attempts over the years at uh, mental pain scales. And they've never really all agreed like, hey, this is the really, really good one because there's scores of data behind it. And mm -hmm. they talked with a bunch of people who uh, live with mental pain and it all, they kind of signed off on it. It's weird that they haven't really done that, but right. they've, uh, the long story short is they've never been able to land on a really great one. Although I think one they do kind of use, right? The Orbach one? Yeah, they use the Orbach and Michelinzer mental pain scale pretty frequently. But the problem is there was a review of 10 major scales that are used around the world um, that was published in 2022 in the British Medical Journal. And they said none of these seem to be valid. Yeah. Like they're all they, – they might as well all be like tea leaves and lizard guts. Like that's, that's as, as good as they are at really nailing down emotional pain or quantifying it. So they, they said, don't, we shouldn't give up or anything like that. We just need to figure out how to do it better. So yeah. essentially the upshot is there's no way at the moment to accurately measure emotional pain yeah. and then, I guess, figure out how to treat it um, depending on the measurement from there. Yeah, why, why else would you want to measure it? Yeah, I guess so, because I was about to say why. I feel like sometimes the, the, a discipline can get so hung up yeah. on something like this that it thwarts progress. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that's not the case. It's called getting wonky. <laughs> uh, it's no surprise. We mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, other conditions related to mental pain. Uh, I guess comorbidities, for lack of a better word. But heartbreak, you mentioned, is obviously one of the big ones. Uh, what I found interesting in this is that some people have, um, like in heartbreak, to uh, drug withdrawal, Mm -hmm. And it makes a lot of sense because when you are in love, um, and especially if you've ever been sort of that new love, if you've ever been newly in love, but mm -hmm. that really flamed out fast and is taken away from you, um, that's sort of like drug withdrawal because you've got all sorts of uh, dopamine and oxytocin and things firing when you have that fresh new love happening. And mm -hmm. if that's taken away, then it's like taking away a feel-good drug. Yeah. Welcome to sixth to ninth grade. Right. <laughs> sixth the thing to ninth, is, man. Boy. The thing <laughs> through through the, college. <laughs> okay, sure, fair enough. Welcome to sixth grade through the rest of your life. How about yeah, that? Kind of. The thing is, is because you're experiencing this and because you're experiencing stress, like when you when you undergo rejection or a sense of betrayal or a sense of loss. Your body actually does release cortisol, so you actually are experiencing stress, and you actually can have physical symptoms from that, like digestive problems, tough to sleep. Uh, your immune system is down. You might um, get sick. And then we did an episode a long time ago 
um, called Can You Die of a Broken Heart? And the yeah. answer is yes, you can. There's something called takosubo cardiomyopathy, which is a sudden emotional or physical stressor basically weakens the heart, and it, you basically have a heart attack from it possibly from being dumped if it's bad enough. I knew that sounded super familiar. I say before we go any further, Chuck, we take our last break. How about that? Let's do it. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
So I think um, one of the first things people think about when they think of emotional pain is depression. Sure. Like there's, you know, there are people out there who have depression and you can make an argument that with depression, you're suffering chronic emotional pain. Mm-hmm. What they found, though, is that people with emotional pain, if you, if, if people with depression, if you have really high levels of emotional pain, it's not necessarily correlated with the um, the largest burden of depression. So if you put 10 people together and you got one guy who's the most depressed of all, he's not necessarily the person with the greatest levels of emotional pain, which suggests that depression um, and emotional pain are not one and the same. Depression's its own thing. Mm-hmm. It has other symptoms. It just correlates very strongly with emotional pain, which seems to be one of the leading symptoms of depression, but not 100% what depression is. They're not interchangeable. Yeah, and, and a lot of these uh, that we're talking about here, like they're weaving in and out of each other uh, all the time in some cases. And uh, But it, I think the distinction is still important to make though, you know, it, rather mm-hmm. than just lumping it in as all one kind of thing. Um, and eating disorders too. A lot of people are like, you got an eating disorder, you really like the food, huh? And most people Ugh. who treat eating disorders are aware that it has very little to do with food. Food just happens to be something that um, these people can use to cope, that they can use to uh, feel better about themselves or forget or distract themselves for a little while. But really what they're doing is is dealing with um, emotional pain that they don't have a better way to deal with, so they turn to food. That's what eating disorders are. Yeah, there was a study in 2021 that, I'm surprised it wasn't higher, honestly, that found that 44% of uh, disordered eating patients uh, experience significant mental pain uh, compared to 6% of the control. So that's Mm -hmm. quite a jump. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. That's pretty much all you need to say. What Uh, else, Chuck? Well, we've got, well, this is sort of the big one. Um, I mean, they're all big, but borderline personality disorder, uh, BPD, um, this may be sort of at the the top of the ladder as far as what might cause the most consistent and the worst kind of mental pain that someone Mm -hmm. uh, might suffer. Because a lot of times, uh, for many reasons, but a lot of times uh, you suffer from BPD because of uh, childhood abuse or childhood neglect. Uh, sometimes it's genet- there's some genetics thrown in there, but, you know, this is stuff that's very, very deeply rooted in somebody. Yeah, and so the, the cro- it's chronic mental pain, um, especially those related to narcissistic wounds, where you feel a sense of rejection and it just completely undermines your sense of self-worth and pride. But the way that it manifests itself in, in people with uh, borderline personality disorder is that they might have inappropriate anger. They mm-hmm. might um, dissociate from themselves or reality. They might feel emptiness. Um, they are emotionally unstable in most cases. And what I saw it um ascribed to is that essentially because of that childhood neglect or abuse uh, or trauma of some sort, they become so afraid of being abandoned that they actually alienate people with their mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah. That's, that, which, it, that sounds to me like a old medieval curse, essentially. Yeah. Like the more you try to keep people around you, the further away they're going to get, and you're really going to want them to be around you. That sounds about as awful an affliction as you can have, really. Yeah, and, you know, you shouldn't be surprised that if you suffer from borderline personality disorder, uh, you're way more likely to abuse or misuse substances, uh, maybe suffer from that eating disorder we were talking about, 
have obviously anxiety, depression, uh, and even uh, be at risk for suicide. Yeah. That's, I think we should do a BPD episode someday. Uh, yeah, there's a lot there, for sure. There's also something called non-suicidal self-injury, and it is um, a fairly new diagnosis as far as the DSM is concerned. Um, and it can be its own symptom. It can be a symptom of other things, like people with BPD um, often engage in non-suicidal self-injury. But essentially what it is is self-cutting, um, punching a wall like a, a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what you're, what they've frequently thought was that they, they're, oh, these people are overcome with emotions, and the only way to release that tension from that emotion is to cut themselves or punch that wall. Mm-hmm. And more recent research has found that actually they think that what, they're, what they've stumbled upon is this kind of innate mechanism humans have where when you experience a painful stimulus, when it subsides, you don't just go back to how you felt right before the painful stimulus. You actually have a, a bit of a sense of euphoria and that they're actually doing, they're actually going for that sense of relief and euphoria by cutting themselves or by punching the wall or whatever self-injurious behavior they're engaged in. And that that's really what's behind it. But that what differentiates them from people who um, don't engage in that behavior that they feel like they deserve it. They deserve punishment yeah. or they're defective. There's something wrong with them. Uh-huh. So that's why they respond in that manner where they hurt themselves to kind of cope rather than, say, turning to food or something. Yeah. Oh, it's just devastating. And that's that sense of self that it seems like we just keep going back to when it comes to this emotional pain. Mm-hmm. It's something is is wrong with me and maybe I deserve this. It's just... Uh, I've never had these kind of feelings, and I just, my heart breaks to think about someone walking around feeling this way, you know? Yeah. Um, Rejection-sensitive dysphoria is something that I had never heard of uh, because it seems like it's really sort of on the leading edge of what's being studied now. This that In fact, that phrase, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, isn't even part of the uh, medical community. Um, like, they haven't even... Um, I guess, what would you call that? Well, the medical community, a lot of it accepts that it's, it exists, but it's not in the DSM, so it's technically not an actual okay. diagnosis Is yet. that what it is? Yeah, that's my understanding. All right, and this is, um, and this, you know, could obviously go along with uh, some other neurodivergences, other mood disorders. Like we said, a lot of these are, are sort of crisscross each other. Mm-hmm. But they might experience mental pain, or discomfort and feel, you know, this rejection that we keep talking about. And the other, the thing that really stood out to me, or interpret like something ambiguous as rejection. Right. So when they're when they're rejected, when you feel rejected and you have RSD, you have a full body sense of being overwhelmed by the emotions that you feel. Nobody likes to be rejected. Right. Now, take that feeling of being rejected and amplify it a million times mm-hmm. so that it completely saturates every fiber in your being and then make it so that just about anything anyone says to you is a form of rejection, correcting you for something that you you, you misspoke about, mm-hmm. um, telling you that you're doing something wrong, uh, anything, like, like breaking plans with you because you have to take your uh, ailing mother to the hospital. Like all of that is considered rejection and all of it is met or responded to by this overwhelming flood of negative emotion. Uh, suicide, we've talked about um, kind of here and there throughout the episode. Um, 
obviously that's a big risk if you're suffering from depression mm-hmm. and uh, BPD. Uh, but emotional pain, and again, this is something that we want to draw a distinction. Emotional pain is a real major factor. And it's not everyone, but many, many people uh, who have died by suicide or attempted suicide had reported previously that they it was a psychological pain that they were trying to uh, escape from or end. Right. One thing that I hadn't thought about but makes total sense is there's um, suicidal ideation um, and that 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 can be a coping mechanism for people who mm-hmm. are um, at, risk, at risk of suicide, um, and that they're they're basically saying like I can I can keep making it. It's not quite bad enough yet, and I always have that out of taking my own life if things get too bad. And that's suicidal ideation. And some people just use that to get by um, and get through emotional pain to just remind themselves that you know it's not that bad yet. Right. Yeah. Well, I had not heard of that, and it, but it, I mean, I, I get, I get the basis of it. It's very, yeah. very saddening, but I, I get the the strange logic behind it. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so we would love to end on a bit more of a positive note, which is there are treatments for these things. Uh, like we mentioned, it it is an evolutionary signal when you're feeling emotional pain to uh, to do something about it. It is your body saying, hey. This is uh, not just this is no way to live, but like this is dangerous for you mm-hmm. and you need to take care of yourself and self-soothe and do all those things, but also seek treatments. And there are quite a few treatments uh, that are that are out there for you, right? Yeah, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, which basically says you um, we don't know why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Who knows? It's, it, we might never uncover it. The point of what we're trying to do is to teach you how to live a better life with being saddled with these negative emotions. Learn to deal with them better. Learn to think of them as less powerful than they are. And CBT has been around for a while and it is probably the most successful um psychological therapy there is. And it's kind of given birth to some subsets of it. And a couple of them are really specifically geared toward treating emotional pain. One's called dialectical behavioral therapy. It's been around since the 70s. A psychologist named Marsha Linehan um, came up with it. Yeah, this one's interesting. Um, And they say that this is one of the, the best treatments if you suffer from borderline personality disorder to undergo. And uh, and if you, everyone experiences emotional pain, but if you experience these things really, really, really intensely, yeah. then this, uh, DBT might be for you. It's called dialectical because, um, it's about sort of accepting your behaviors, accepting your situation that you're in, but trying to change them. So right. the acceptance part is a big uh, is a big piece to DBT, uh, as well as ACT, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, right? Yeah, dialectical means like things that are concepts that are in logical opposition to one another. And they, uh, this one makes a lot of sense. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they also, one of the big things about DBT is there's group therapy, and you practice your skills in it. So you're like, watch this emotional regulation, everybody. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not quite sure what the groups are like, but I saw that it was more akin to a classroom setting than a group therapy setting. Yeah. There's also acceptance and commitment therapy. It has a lot of the same ideas behind it. Basically that you need to um, accept 
that you feel emotional pain and and kind of move on without or move on with it. Make 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 the best of your life using mindfulness techniques typically. And both of those things they center on the idea of um, you have emotional pain. There's not a lot you like you're never going to free yourself from emotional pain. So let's teach you the person how to deal with emotional pain better. And that makes a lot of sense, and it actually is effective for a lot of people. But there's also another school of thought that says, like, those things are wrong because they're coming from a premise that you have emotional pain, you just have to accept it and deal with it. There's a guy named um, Mark Rigo. He's a psychiatrist at Yale, and he's on the other side and says, we need to figure out how to treat emotional pain. You're not going to get any great signals or any great understanding from your emotional pain. We need to get rid of it however we can. Um, And that's kind of controversial because people are like, well, you're pathologizing maybe emotional pain that everybody has. And he's saying, not necessarily. Some people have way more acute or way more chronic emotional pain that's actually debilitating. And rather than them, you know, going to group and practicing their skills, let's figure out some medications to help them get back on their feet. And then they can go to like CBT or DBT or ACT uh, and work it out. But they're they're so far beyond that. We Mm -hmm. need to bring them back to the place where that therapy can actually help. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess if that helps you, that's great. I, I think I identify a little more with the um, the previous ones we were talking about, the, the acceptance, because it kind of ties into the whole uh, I am not my behaviors line mm-hmm. of thought. Yeah. Um, like I can be this and also be something else. Totally. Which is, I think, can be very empowering. I mean, I've learned a tremendous amount from my therapy, and it's essentially geared toward that of, uh-huh. of like you said, I'm not my behaviors, I'm not yeah. my thoughts, I'm not my feelings. Like I am the the kind of the sum total of all of those things, right? And also just um, you know, learning not to be such a negative Nelly. <laughs> Same here, my friend. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Well, if you want to know more about uh, emotional pain, sit back and wait, because it'll come sooner or later. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Oh, no, no. It's time for Listener Phone Call. What? Uh, uh, (laughs) First ever. Um, Our old old pal, John Hodgman, friend of the show Uh and friend of ours in real life, called me. He still listens to our show some. Oh, really? Yeah, which made me that's feel really shocking. good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I doubt if he listens to him all. He probably surfs through and skips around and listens to what might appeal to him. But he uh, he listened to the episode on uh, the, the word and phrase origins, which, you know, John, mm. of course, is a uh, talented orator and wordsmith. So mm-hmm. it's not surprising that one jumped out at him. But he called uh, because he wanted to talk about the PU. Remember mm-hmm. when something stinks? Yeah. And he said, I think that might have come about, and it made sense to me when, uh, because that's sort of the sound you make when you spit something out that might be bad for you. So, like, evolutionarily, mm-hmm. if you put something in your mouth that's, like, super bitter, which evolutionarily speaking means it could be poisonous, you go, pew, you know, like, pew, like spit something out. Right. And he thinks P-U may have evolved from that. I saw other places that it's kind of a nuanced version of that where like when you get smacked in the face by a disgusting smell, like uh-huh. the, the exclamation you make involuntarily is like, phew, yeah. kind of, that kind of thing. 
it makes sense. And uh, just something I think you'll enjoy. I've been holding out on this mm-hmm. to tell you. He said, and by the way, he said, did I ever tell you, Chuck, that for the first couple of years I listened to this show before I knew you guys, I thought you had a ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just tickled me. <laughs> I would pay good money to see you with a ponytail. Yeah, I thought that was good stuff. This Halloween's coming up, Chuck. Just you never know. more months. So uh, thanks to Haji. Good, good guy, good friend. Yeah, great guy. Thanks a lot, Haji, for the first ever listener phone call. Uh, and if you want to be like Hodgman, see if you can find Chuck's phone number and give him <laughs> a call. Uh, in the meantime, you can also send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.